Well, good morning, Chapel family. You know, it's good that we're standing on the promises of God. They do not fail. They do not change. He does not grow weary or tired. Let's have a word of prayer as we dig in. Father, thank You for Your Word that it is, it is unchanging, it is without error, and it never fails. So we come here to Your Word this morning to look in and dig that we might see You, that we might learn from You, that we might learn how we can stand on Your promises, how we live can live as God's people, how we can draw near to You. So I pray in this hour, in these moments as we, as we look, that You will teach us, that Your Spirit would use Your Word that You would accomplish Your great purpose in our hearts and in our lives. So we come ready to listen. We ask, Lord, that You would speak. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did spend some time in the rural Ozarks over the last week. Heard about a couple of guys down there who pulled up to the local lumber yard. You know, the chick lumber out there and one of them went up to the service desk, said, um, we need some four-by-twos. The clerk kind of stared at him for a second and he said, sir, do you mean two-by-fours? The guy just kind of stared back for a second and then said, let me go check. He went back out to the truck, talked to his partner for a second, came back in, said, yeah, that's right, uh, I meant two-by-fours. The clerk said, okay, well... How long do you need those? After staring blankly for a second, the guy said, let me go check. He goes back out to the truck. This time he's out there a good while before he comes back in. He says, well, we're going to need them a long time. (laughs) We're building a house. (laughs) Building a house is a challenging thing. A long-term project, but building a home is a lifelong project. Building a home is a lifelong endeavor. It's a job that really is, is never finished, or at least typically it's never finished as long as we live. Good parenting is a huge job. It's a daunting task. All of you who are parents get that. Most parents are concerned that their children are successful. They want them to grow up and have a good life. There's a lot of differing opinions out there about what that looks like, what that means. Some people think that success in life means being rich or being educated or having a good career or maybe just being happy. To some, success is more about character. It's about having a good character, being honest, being responsible, being well-adjusted, being caring, being giving. However, there's some parents who just after trudging it out for so long, duking it out in the trenches of parenting, they've kind of adjusted their sights a little down. Success in raising kids means just not getting a call from the principal this week. Success in parenting is just not seeing your son or daughter on the evening news. (laughs) Deuteronomy 
has something to say about successful parenting. We've been here for a while. It's the book, this book of Deuteronomy is written by Moses to a new generation of Israelites. Right before Moses, he's about to die. And the leadership of Israel is going to turn over to Joshua, the younger guy. And it's a series of messages and we, we've noticed here in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 6, we've been here for a few weeks, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses has distilled down into its very essence, into the essentials that here's what successful living is. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he, has, he goes over the Ten Commandments as a snapshot, as it were, a, a quick outline, a brief summary of what good, godly, successful living looks like. Last Sunday, Pastor Aaron led us into Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses goes on and he continues to explain that true obedience to God, and the key to, as we saw back in chapter 5, the key to enjoying God's blessing, Moses says, is obedience to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Pastor Aaron showed us last week that true obedience to God arises from two things. It arises... First, from a proper knowledge of who God is. And you see that in verse 4, the Shema, as it's commonly called. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A true, proper knowledge and understanding of who God is. And secondly, a proper relationship with God, a proper response to God. We see in verse 5, that's a heart of faith and trust that loves God above all. Verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Today, as we kind of finish out this little series, we pick up in verse 6 of chapter 6. As Moses shifts the focus, he shifts the focus from the generation that he's talking to And he moves our attention and moves their attention to the generations that are going to follow. Moses is concerned that the generation, this generation he's talking to, will raise up generations that follow, generations who will also know God, who will also love God, who will also follow and obey God, and then enjoy God's blessing. He wants this generation to raise successful children. That's what we're looking at today is how do we raise successful children? We've already understood that success is not about things. It's not even about character, although it involves character. But success is ultimately about knowing God and loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. I find some of the saddest words in the Bible to be just a little bit after this over in the book of Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 and the, the writer of the book says this, he says, the people served the Lord 
throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And after that, he goes on down in verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor the, all that He had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals or the Baals. In other words, after Moses dies and Joshua takes over the leading of this new generation. This new generation follows the Lord God all of the lives of, of these leaders of Joshua and then, and the other elders that were there. They follow the Lord all that time, but when those leaders die off, the next generation arises and they did not know God. And instead of following after God, they follow after the Baals, other gods. And what follows are 400 of the darkest years of Israel's history, the time of the judges. I count, going through the book of Deuteronomy, I count, and you may find that there's even more, but I count at least five times in the book of Deuteronomy where God, through Moses, stresses to the Israelites the importance of passing on to the next generation knowledge of God and a relationship with God. And yet, they failed to do it. May I say that we see something similar happening in the American church in our own lifetime. American Christians, by and large, the American church is failing to pass on our faith to the next generations. Josh McDowell, author, apologist, many of you probably, most of you probably read him or heard him speak. He wrote a book a dozen years ago called The Last Christian Generation. It was a wake-up call, or he wrote it to be a wake-up call to the American church. And he said, I, I sincerely believe that unless something is done now to change the spiritual state of young people, you will become the last Christian generation. He's not speaking, of course, in the world, but here in America. We are on a path quickly to becoming a post-Christian society like Europe. And many observers, in fact, say that we're already there. And so it raises a question. Can we, can you, can I, can we in our families, can we in our church, can we in our little corner, at least, of, of this land, can we do better? Can we raise up another generation and another generation after them who knows God, who knows Jesus Christ and loves Him and follows Him? I think it's a great question. Can we do better than the broad American church? Can we do better than this generation of Israelites? Can we succeed where they failed? How can we communicate 
the reality of, of knowledge of God and relationship with God in such a way that the next generations follow Him and love Him. How do we do that? Well, I think the answer is right here in Deuteronomy. I think we can do it if we will do what the Israelites did not do. And that is, listen to Moses. Moses here, in these few verses we're going to look at this morning, just verses 6-9, through Moses lays out before us a pathway to pass on the faith. He, He lays out for us a model for us to follow. A model that is timeless. It it supersedes generations. It supersedes culture. It will work anywhere at any time. I think if we simply do what he says. Four simple things in these verses. Let me read the passage. Follow along. Hopefully you have your Bible open. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Four things that if we will be faithful to do, we will pass on the faith. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The first of these four critical things. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. By the way, it's interesting to me that as Moses lays this out, what Moses doesn't do is institute a program. We love programs. But Moses doesn't do that. What Moses doesn't do is he doesn't say what we need here is we need to start up Sabbath school. What we need here is uh, we need a teaching tool that will work. Let's let's do uh, Veggie Tales Deuteronomy here. And we'll use that to teach the kids. We, we need programs. We need That's not what, what he does. Programs aren't bad. But what he, where he goes here is that the solution is It's not institutional. The solution here is personal. And it's relational. And the solution begins very personally with us. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. First key is we need to own the message. He says that God's Word, God's truth, needs to be on our heart. He says these commands that I teach you, he's speaking about the commands are simply another way to say God's Word, God's truth. To be on our heart means first that we need to personally own it. We need to personally believe it. Our first mission here is not to raise godly kids. Our first mission here is to be godly people. We need to own the message. If we're going to be effective in leading the next generation to faith in Christ, it begins with us personally owning the message and embracing faith in Jesus Christ ourselves. It involves us embracing God's truth. If if you and I are only half-hearted about God's Word, we will never be effective leaders. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you can't lead people where you aren't. We can try to push people to places where we aren't, but that never works very well. Scripture calls us not to push, but to lead. We cannot lead people where we are not. The first thing in bringing along the next generation to know and to love and to follow God is that that has to be our ambition and our passion as well. Not only must we personally own the message and believe it, but we must also know it. See, we can't, we can't pass on God's Word if we don't know it. We need to study. We need to learn God's Word. We need to remember that what we have here is not nice stuff. What we are passing on is just not some nice ideas. What we're passing on is not some nice general thoughts that are, are morally good and will make us all better and nice. What we're trying to pass on is God's Word. The Word of God, the writer of Hebrews says, is alive and powerful because it's not our ideas and it's not our thoughts and it's not just nice platitudes. The Word of God is alive and powerful because it's the Word of God. You and I need to invest ourselves in learning God's Word. We cannot teach and pass on what we do not know. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are not actively and deliberately and intentionally investing yourself in digging into the Word of God, learning the Word of God, studying the Word of God, you will never be effective in passing it on to the next generation. We have to personally believe, accept the message, own the message. We need to personally know the message to learn the Scriptures. Second thing he says here, verse 7, you shall teach them the commandments, the Word of God, you shall teach them, he says, diligently. Diligently means faithfully, it means intentionally, it means actively, it means carefully. All of those things. The point is this, we need to not only own the message, we need to own the mission. The mission that we have is to pass the message on. To raise up the next generations behind us. In other words, we need to be intentionally engaged in the process of passing the message on. There's an old adage your mom probably taught you or your coach or one of your first boss. So you're somebody in your life probably used that old adage. If you fail to plan, you, you've heard that. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you don't have a plan to intentionally invest yourself in, and engage, be engaged in passing the message on and passing knowledge of God and love for God and faith in God and trust in God and following God to the next generation, if you're not intentionally engaged in that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail at it. It won't happen just by accident. It won't happen by default. Because Moses says here, you 
shall teach them diligently. You need to be intentionally engaged, faithfully, carefully, persistently engaged in the process. Because by the grace of God, my kids turned out wonderfully. They love the Lord. They are following Him. But if there is anything that I would go back and change, looking back on my dadhood, my parenting years, I would go back and I'd be more intentional. I remember being surprised, even though I had heard it and I knew it before everything started as a parent, I was surprised when those days were gone and I... and my kids left the house, I was surprised by how quick it went. And we all understand how high the stakes are. Moms, dads, you got kids at home. The clock is ticking. There's only a short time. You need to be intentional. You need to be engaged. You need to be proactive. You need to be diligent in passing on this wonderful message. Second thing I see here is he says that you shall teach them diligently to, what's the next phrase? To your children. Primary in this process is parents. Moms, dads, if you've got kids, that makes you a mom and dad. Uh, if you've got kids, you are the primary people in this formula for passing this on to the next generation. Your responsibility. It's the primary responsibility of mom and dad at home to do that. You can't expect anyone else to do this for you. You can't just drop your kids at the church and trust that Sunday school teachers and Awana leaders are going to raise your kids up. And that they're going to pass on this to your kids. God has put you in the preeminent and in the prominent place of influence in your children's lives. He's done that to you as moms and dads. And He expects you, and this passage calls for you, to embrace this marvelous opportunity, to embrace this privilege, to be the one who leads your children to follow you as you love and follow Jesus. It's a high privilege. Studies have shown that the number one factor in kids who will follow Jesus Christ, who will trust Him and follow Him and keep following Him through, through young adulthood, through their life, the number one factor that determines whether kids will do that is if they have moms and dads who faithfully follow Jesus Christ. It's the number one determining factor that, that will will produce kids who follow Jesus Christ. My 25 years in youth ministry demonstrated that to me with amazing clarity. As I would watch kids, and I had so many kids who came from, from solid Christian homes where moms and dads loved Jesus. I had some who came from homes where moms and dads brought them to church, but weren't really active in following Christ. I had kids who came from outside the church, from homes where there weren't moms and dads who believed in Jesus. And I'll tell you, the kids who 
had moms and dads who faithfully and devotedly followed Christ, kids much higher likelihood they would keep following Christ later on. The stats are right. Moms and dads who are engaged in this, you are in a prime place to influence your kids. But the next step is this. It's not lost to me that that Moses is addressing and he's giving this commandment to the entire believing community of Israel. Not just to the moms and dads. Everybody's hearing him talk. And it's not lost to me that I think that, that this is deliberate and it's to encourage all of us to be involved in the spiritual nurture of children and youth. Whether you have children or don't, whether your children are grown or still in the home, I believe that the nurture and the raising and the, and the launching of the next generation to follow Christ is a concern for all of us as believers. And you see, I also know that those same studies that showed that moms and dads are the number one determining factor and influencing factor that leads kids to follow Christ later on. The second greatest factor that influences kids to follow Christ uh, as young people and as young adults, keep faithful as young adults and on, is second one after mom and dad is significant relationships with other adults who are following Jesus Christ. You see, what that means is if you're here this morning and you don't have kids, or you're here this morning and your kids are grown, or you're here this morning and you're not even an adult, but you're a teenager, you have opportunity to build into the next generations. And I think it's what God is calling for us to do. So while parents are on the front line of raising up the next generation to follow Christ, the rest of us aren't off the hook. We are to come alongside and we are to help moms and dads. We are to come alongside and we are to come alongside those kids that don't have moms and dads who are following Christ. And we are to shepherd and we are to nurture. We are to point them to Jesus. Perhaps that is just as simple as, and by the way, I think that every one of us should be doing that. I urge you this morning, If you're not already, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, get active with someone in a generation behind you or many someones. Get active in their life, encouraging them and pointing them to Jesus. Maybe that can be as simple as just befriending and encouraging a kid or two. Maybe it's Supporting or befriending a young couple who's got two or three or ten kids. <laughs> They're struggling. They just need some, they need someone to come along and encourage. They need someone to come along and, and occasionally help them with the kids or to love on their kids. Maybe be an adoptive grandparent or adoptive uncle or aunt and you can minister to young couples and young families. Have a, big part in influencing young kids. I'm so thankful for folks like um, Colonel Niblack and Ben Watkins and I can name half dozen folks who did that to me when I was a kid. Folks just at the church that just loved on me and pointed me to Jesus. Perhaps it's volunteering in some of the ministries here in the church like Sunday school or children's church or the nurseries 
or the Iwana clubs or vacation Bible school or our youth groups. Sad reality is I think every one of those ministries is short-staffed. Every one of them needs some help and it should never be that way in my opinion in a church. Get involved. We just got back from an absolutely fabulous week of junior camp. I was so pleased and excited as I watched our adults here getting to know kids, loving on them, encouraging them, teaching them, uh, hanging out, just playing games, and building relationships that will last, in many cases, last a lifetime. Planting seeds that will, will grow in the days and years ahead. I love that. But it doesn't happen without a ton of volunteers. And you know what? It takes sacrifice. Those volunteers, if you look at them today, they're dragging. Those volunteers went through a lot. But you know what? Most of them are going to go back next year because they see that camps are fantastic They're an opportunity to pour into a life of a kid. You can get six months worth of Sunday school in a week of camp. Six weeks worth of youth group in a week of camp. And on top of that, you build relationships. And for kids, relationships are bigger than lessons. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Maybe it's investing in kids outside the church, like some of you are involved at Strong Tower Ranch. Some of you are involved with Child Evangelism Fellowship through five-day clubs or through, through the Good News Clubs. Maybe it's getting involved with kids as a tutor, helping them with math, science, with something where you just have an hour or two a week with a kid or two. and It's, it's about any way in which you can invest in the next generation And as you're building relationship, you point them to Jesus. It's simple as that. I think this text is calling for all of us to do that. To be invested personally and intentionally in a younger person pointing them to Jesus. Thirdly, verse 7, And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The point here is to teach continuously or continually. Family worship, family devotions, family prayer, Bible studies, Bible lessons, whether it's done in the family, whether it's done in children's church, whether it's done at vacation Bible school, those are essential. They are important. They're good. I encourage them. I do, however, strongly advise you that whether you're doing it at home or whether you're doing it at one of these other places, just understand that long, boring, dull teaching sessions make good sedatives. They'll put kids to sleep. They don't exactly encourage them to be followers of Christ. So whether you're teaching at home or whether you're teaching in in somewhere here in church or somewhere else out there, I encourage you to, to make every effort to study hard, work hard, plan hard, think creatively, try to get into the minds of a kid. And when you teach, you teach on a level that they understand and on a level where they engage. That's important. 
But he says here, we talk of these things while we sit in the house, while we walk by the way, while we lie down, when we rise. And I realize the emphasis of this verse isn't all those things we normally think of as teaching sessions. You see, I have a feeling if we did a survey here and I asked how many of you have the gift of teaching, very few hands would go up. If I asked, are you a teacher? Most of you would say, oh, not me. See, I think God calls for all of us to be teachers. For all of us to be engaged in teaching continually. The emphasis of this verse is that the bulk of our teaching children and teaching the next generation doesn't happen in the classroom or in a lot of structured lessons. Those are important. But the bulk of our teaching happens in the dailies of life. Some of those dailies of life fit well into the routines and the rituals of life. As he says here, when you lie down at bedtime, when you're sitting in the house, like at mealtime, there are things that are just routine of life. Every day you eat, don't you? I do. Several times. Every night we go to sleep. Moms, dads, if you haven't already, you've figured out that a lot of the, the precious and critical time to teach kids is at bedtime before they go to bed. You've got precious minutes to spend doing lots of things. Those, those ritual times, those routine times are great times to have routines of singing and to have routines of reading or reciting Scripture together, memorizing Scripture. It's precious time to talk about spiritual things, to pray together. Those should be a part of our regular routine, our regular rituals. But much of the teaching that happens, happens not, on, not in the routine dailies, but much of the, of the teaching that occurs best in the other types of daily stuff. Just the average daily stuff during the chores, during the, as he says here, the walking down the way, when you're walking to the market, when you're walking to school, when you're walking everywhere, because they walked everywhere. Now we drive everywhere. So you're driving in the car, you've got your kid as a captive audience for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. What do you do with it? Do you just waste it and just blast the radio every time you're in the car? Or do you take advantage of the time? See, if we own the message and we own the mission, we're looking to teach continually and we're looking at every day wondering where are the opportunities going to be today to build into the life of the next generation. And it may be in the routine if we get together every Thursday and have breakfast or it may be in the routine of bedtime, but it might happen when we just, hey, I'm going to go over and rake leaves at so-and-so's house. And so you call up a teenager, you call up a kid, you say, come with me. Or maybe moms and dads as we're just running to the as we're running to Deerberg's and we got that fifteen minutes in the car. And in that fifteen minutes of the car, what happens is you see something, and all of a sudden if you're looking, you realize that that bird that's trapped or that flat tire you have on the way to Deerberg's or that, that person at the checkout who gave you too much change back or that rude person over there, or whatever it is, all of a sudden, just the dailies of life become an opportunity to talk about spiritual things. They become opportunities to talk about, about what God says about something, or to point out how big and how awesome God is, or to share my testimony of how 
God taught me something about this or how I came to, to trust Jesus as my Savior. Or an opportunity, you know, go on. You see what I'm saying? We need to take advantage of the opportunities. And sometimes we, it takes creating them by inviting somebody to come along. And then we see what happens. Everything, most anything, can become a teachable moment when we're looking for opportunities. And we discover ways to show how our faith intersects and affects every area of life. And so while you may not consider yourself a teacher, any of us and all of us should be teaching like that. Building into the lives of the next generation. We can learn God's Word and speak His truth in the dailies with someone who's younger than us. And as we intentionally do that, as we speak truth in the dailies, it's an awful lot like scattering seeds. You know, I've got bare places in my lawn and uh, took a bunch of grass seed and you go and you just throw it out there. You never know what's going to sprout. You do your best, but I've come convinced that most of the seeds I throw out there do absolutely nothing. But inevitably, if I throw enough of the seeds out there, Guess what happens? Some of them sprout and grass pops up. And I think that's what this passage is telling us to do. We're out there just scattering a bunch of seeds. And in time, God brings up a harvest if we're faithful to do it. So I wonder, where did you scatter seeds of truth this week with the next generation? Lastly, one more thing here, verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them, the Word of God, the commandments of God, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When my kids were little, among the favorite books in their collection, they had lots of books, but among the favorite books they had were books about this lady, by the way, the point here is going to be live faithfully. I'll explain how it fits in a second. One of the favorite books was this lady here, Amelia Bedelia. If you know the Amelia Bedelia books, what you know is she's this housekeeper who takes everything literally. And so when she goes to make a sponge cake, she puts real sponges in the cake. When she goes to weed the garden, she plants weeds in the garden when she pots plants, she plants, puts plants in kitchen pots. When she goes to pitch a tent, she takes a tent and throws it out in the woods. That's Amelia Bedelia. Well, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we take this as the Word of God and we believe it to be literally true. That doesn't mean that we take every little word literally. We don't do what the Jews did here with this. The Jews, they, they took this and they said, well, it says here to tie, bind them as a sign on your hand. And so they take the Word of God and they take it with this, these leather straps and they tie it to their wrist. I saw them doing this on the plane as we were going to Israel uh, of about a month ago and, and in the morning as they were getting ready for their prayers. As we went to the wailing wall, you'd see there, there were guys praying and they had these little things strapped to their forehead right between their eyes. What's in that little box? is little portions of Scripture. 
When we go into our hotel room, on the hotel rooms in Israel, right there on the door frame, there's this little box screwed to the wall. And if you unscrewed it from the wall, what you'd find in there is a little portion of Scripture. They did exactly what Moses said to do literally and missed the point completely, just like Amelia Bedelia would often do. She'd do everything exactly literally right and get it absolutely wrong. The point, of course, is not that we're supposed to take God's Word and tie it to our arms, our hands, and tie it to our heads and, and go and write it out on the, de- on the gate to our house and go to the doorpost and stick it on the door. That's not what He means. What He means when we tie it to our hands is He says that the Word of God should affect and infect everything you do in life. Because we use our hands to do. And what he says is that the Word of God shouldn't be just something that we say, yeah, I believe God's Word and we leave it at that. But the Word of God should, be, should get into our minds so that it affects and infects everything that we think. So it affects how we view life. It changes totally in our perspective on everything. And the Word of God isn't what we, again, we paint on the gate, but it's saying that as we go out of the gate, as it were, of our house into the world, the Word of God affects and infects how I relate to people and how I live and what I do out here. And the the Word of God on the door frame of my house, again, it's not having something there printed out on the door frame. It's saying that the Word of God should affect and infect everything in how I and, and, and that we do in our home. So it affects how I treat you and you treat me. It affects what I say and what I don't say. It affects how we love one another and how we serve one another in our home. That's what he means. So what he's saying is that in this, he's using a visual illustration, a word picture, a word image to help us understand that the Word of God, if we're going to be effective in passing on our faith, if we're going to pass on knowledge of God and a relationship with God to the next generation, it means that we not only own the message and we own the mission and we teach continually, it means we need to live it out faithfully. See, Kids need models. They need examples. We might believe the truth and the the right things, but we need to teach kids through our examples. This week at camp, one of the things that kids, there are a lot of things they could do to to earn these little wristbands that said they achieve certain skills. One of those skills that they could do was learning to tie knots. Got a little book that has, has a bunch of knots for them to learn to tie, the sheep shank and the, and the sheep bend and et cetera. And, and um, it's interesting. You, you, we've printed these books out. There's ropes. How many kids do you think go pick up these little books and go and read how to make a knot? How many of you love to read instructions? How many of you hate reading instructions? How do we learn? We see somebody else do it. That's right. We see somebody model it. How do the kids want to learn knots? Hey, Pastor Keith, will you show me how to do this knot? Sure, just a minute. Okay, yeah. (laughs) 
See, kids aren't looking necessarily to to hear. They're not going to read. What they're doing is they're looking. They're looking to see what it looks like in real life. We need to bend over backwards if we want our kids to stand up straight. One of my college professors told me that. I've never forgotten it. <laughs> we need to bend over backwards if we want our kids to stand up straight. We need to model it. Besides needing models, the kids need something else, though. The next generation needs to also see not just examples, they need to see sincerity. See, if we say we love God, if we say we believe His Word, but it doesn't show up in the things we do. If we say we love God and we believe His Word, but it doesn't show up in the way that we treat other people when we go out into the world, if it doesn't show up in our business dealings, if it doesn't show up in the way we we interact with our neighbor, if we say we love God, if we say we're following Him, but it doesn't show up in how we talk to our husband, if it doesn't show up in how we talk to our wife, if it doesn't show up in how we treat our kids, if it doesn't show up in how we love and serve one another in our home, our kids see that and they go, they don't believe it at all. See, when it comes down to believing our actions, or believing our words, kids will believe our actions every time. As the old adage goes, more is caught than taught. How do we pass on knowledge of God and love for God in the midst of a pagan culture? Moses told this to a generation of Israelites who are about to move into a pagan place. This is a formula that works anywhere because it's not a formula. It's not a program. It's living out our faith intentionally in front of the next generation. It's investing intentionally in the next generation. A lot's riding on it. question is, are we going to do it? I want to see us here as Chapel of the Lake. I want to see us here as families, as a church. I want to see us raising successful children. Generations who know and love and trust and follow Jesus Christ. Moses says we'll see that come about if we own the message, if we own the mission if we teach continually and we live faithfully. Let's pray. Father, I have a feeling that I haven't said a thing here that's really brand new to anybody. Nothing here that's totally, wow, never thought of that before. Pretty simple stuff. The problem is that we just tend to be preoccupied with other things, the wrong stuff. We tend to be busy or maybe we really aren't following You with, our, with all of our love, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're not leading the next generation to follow You because we're not following You ourselves. 
that's the case, Lord, may this be a horribly convicting time for folks in that condition. May they recognize I need to get it right. And may they commit themselves to loving You with all they are. Father, may we as people, may we as parents, may we as grandparents, may we as childless folks and empty nesters, as, as teenagers even, Lord, may we invest ourselves in the generations to come because it's a job You've given us to do. Because it's Your desire that everyone know You for who You are. You desire that everyone knows of Your love for them. You desire that everyone knows that You sent Your Son Jesus to die for them, to pay for their sins, that by faith they can have life in Christ. And You desire for them to love You, to follow You, and to know Your blessings. Lord God, may that be our mission. May we embrace it. May we be faithful in it. In Jesus' name.